Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Uh, we are continuing to uh, record practicing social distancing. So this is just like the last episode being recorded uh, over the phone. We're each in our separate homes, confining to um, staying healthy and preventing the spread of the COVID-19 virus which is just continuing to ravage the, not just the music world, but just kind of like society in general. Yeah. Just everything I'm reading is just, (laughs) they're saying that this is going to go on and on and on. Like we may not have any semblance of normalcy until like August. I've seen stuff like that too. I remember us talking about how it was going to be over in a few weeks. And then here we are like a month, two months later, Mm-hmm. Class. Um, and we were talking about, and I don't know if I mentioned this in a previous, we were talking about how, you know, they shut down Shanghai Disney and they shut down, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff in China that were related to American companies and how that affected their stock prices and stuff. And they were saying, well, no big deal because they'll just rock it back up in a few weeks once this is over. And then when it came over here, obviously there was the huge dip. And so we got to study that. And so it's just been really interesting from, you know, we talk about how this is going to affect the economy. It's really interesting to be in a business class while something like this is happening. And I hate that it is happening, but I'm glad that I get to learn about it at least. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is definitely unprecedented times. Yeah. There's no going Especially, around that. There's just it's with the way that the economy is structured. This is just something like this has never happened. That is just something of an outside force. Not even something that, you know, like with the Great Depression, we pretty much caused that. But where you have this this seemingly act of God just completely uproot the entire world economy as we know it and i just i keep i keep reading about stuff where um it's just we're never gonna see things go really back to normal that it's just gonna this is gonna forever change wow the way the world does business probably honestly probably i wouldn't be Mm -hmm. surprised but if you have been watching um, John Krasinski's Some Good News videos, they're pretty cool. You know, because yeah, a lot of I the haven't... news that's, that's going on right now is all about the virus and, you know, what the death count is now and what mm-hmm. states have it the worst and where's it going to spike up next and what's it doing to, you know, the economy and people and all that stuff. But it's great that somebody has a lot of uh, fame. to find a bunch of good news stories and share those so if you are wanting some good news and haven't heard of that check out john krasinski's some good news i know we don't do a lot of plugs for anything else but i think that's worth mentioning uh because you know i'm i'm sure you've heard of it right no i actually have not heard of it really okay yeah so you need to check it out too yeah, I will. Well, very cool. Um, 
good thing is that, you know, certain businesses, if nothing else, are going to start to thrive. Those of us in uh, content creation, just like ourselves. So, um, you know, it's kind of like looking also at the the positive side is that, you know, I've gotten to work harder on the podcast than I've ever gotten to work before. Yeah, and that's true. Really, true. really doing a lot more than I used to do, which has been great. And um, it's really kind of, I've really got to do a lot of research and then just really pouring into the Instagram page, which we're just continuing to see some great support out of. So if you guys are curious about uh, getting in on the discussion with us, we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. Both pages have identical posts. So you're not missing something if you go from one or another. It's just going to be on, you know, which platform you prefer. Uh, I will say that things are going to Instagram first and then they're reposting to Facebook. So it's going to, you're going to notice that the posts are more Instagram friendly, but they're both the same thing. And uh, we've just, we're talking about how we're going to have our favorite comments put on the episode. So, oh, yeah, it's really, time for that. <laughs> yeah. So, we're really encouraging you guys to just please go and uh, get part of the discussion. All right, comment time. And uh, yes, let me uh, let me pull some up. We didn't get as many comments this time around. No one guessed but... that it was Jane's addiction. We had that no. come out this morning. Yes, we did. That's that's uh, for those of you that um, are following us we're, we're we record way ahead so what we're recording right now is the night of our jane's addiction episode being uh being uploaded so it doesn't look like we've got really many comments this week we got a lot of likes and we've got a lot of people following us i did a lot of work on just trying to get you know a lot of followers from us but we're not getting quite as many comments at the moment although we did get um an enthusiastic comment from P underscore Robbins saying that she loves walk this way. Oh yes. Yeah. I remember that comment, which I do too. You know? Yeah. That's one of the first songs I ever learned how to play on guitar. Oh yeah. It's, it's a, it's a classic for beginners. Yeah. It's just a great rock song in general. Uh, So if you want to know more about us talking about that song, go check out our Aerosmith episode. Uh, so thank you, P. Robbins. Uh, that's my mother-in-law, by the way. So glad that I've got that family support. <laughs> um, and yeah, the other ways that you can support us is to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. We have new episodes that come out every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. Uh, we love it whenever you guys send us comments on what artists you want us to cover. And uh, just give us a, a comment, a review, a rating on whatever platform you're listening. And make sure that you share with whoever you think will be interested, especially during these down times where there's not a whole lot going on. It's the perfect time to binge uh, a podcast. So we've got a pretty sizable now back catalog of episodes to choose from. So uh, go check out, see if your favorite artists are on there that you haven't gotten to listen to yet, as well as if you see any episodes of artists that you're not very familiar with. That's also a great opportunity to learn about some potentially new favorite artists. Yep. 
Okay. And then the last thing I have is um, checking the link in the description of every episode. It'll send you to where you can um, monetarily support the channel. We are working on Patreon. That should be ready here very, very soon. Uh, Grant and I are going to have a meeting about that in the near future. Oh boy. Just to kind of solidify what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the meantime, that's going to be the best way for you to support us with a monthly donation. Uh, what that does is it'll allow us to upgrade our equipment. We can get more research materials and overall just kind of uh, help us to be able to make this more of a primary focus and to be able to grow this into the best possible podcast it can be. Okay. So, yeah, from that note, we can go ahead and move forward. There was one thing I really wanted to talk about. It was kind of on the... um, subject of the coronavirus i was reading a study this morning about kind of the impact it's had on the music industry and specifically looking at when are we going to be back to normal as far as concerts and festivals and there was one expert in the cdc that was saying that it won't be until fall of 2021 that we should see concerts kind of resuming back to normal wow that's a long time. You mean you mean when it's ramped up to where it was or when it starts to resume? I think that's they're talking about when it's when we start to resume as far as like arena level. Oh, okay. Wait, but I mean no that's way. still a that's lot of still that's far lot of away. That's like eighteen months. Yeah, they're saying they're also putting in sports events. And anything that has, like, large groups of people put together. Like, I think before then, we'll, we may see, like, club oh, yeah. uh, shows return. We'll, like, we'll see clubs if they lift the... Maybe. I think the thing they're saying is they're just... it's They're going to keep the stay-at-home in place until they, like, call your business out. Like, they're going to just kind of slowly reintegrate based on priority what you can leave home to do. Mm. They said that there's not going to just be a date where everything goes back to normal. Oh yeah. They're just going to, they're going to slowly reintegrate. So, you know, it's going to be like, you know, okay, at this date, businesses and this field can go back to work, but you still have to, you know, remain six feet away from each other. And if you are at this age, you can't return to work. Hmm. That's the reports I've been reading. And so, okay. you know, I have no idea when even something like smaller music venues are going to be considered priority to be able to go back to playing. But I think that it'll happen before we get to, you know, big arena tours. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if if it's by the end of the year that we get to the clubs and stuff and the casino shows again. You know, because you're talking about how it's obvious that we're going to be or whatever. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, obviously they're not a priority, but they're not as much of a liability as arenas. And that's something else to think about. So, yeah, there's there's less people to potentially spread things around. So and it, they might do it as a test to kind of see, you know, are we ready for this level yet? Yep. Yep. Um, but I have started to see a um, 
a swelling of artists that are going to start doing virtual tours. Ooh. Where they are going to be playing at empty venues and live streaming them. That's cool. I don't know logistically how that's going to work yet. If like they're going to be free events, if they're, they somehow figure out a way for people to pay for the shows. Um, but I think that that's going to be very interesting. And it's one of those things to where I feel like when things are finally back to normal, I don't think things are going to be normal in the music industry. I think that the music industry is going to be so rocked by everything that's going on that we're going to see a new version of the music industry. I don't know what it's going to be, but I don't see how things can just go back to normal. Yeah, I think after a world-changing event like this, it'll be interesting to see, though. Um, how... Who knows? Maybe it'll change for the better. I think it will change for the better, honestly. Um, it, it's exciting to be alive during this time. Uh, this is, historical events are happening around us every day. Everything is news. So, I think we spent much time on news. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get to today's artist, which is... Oh, and this is this is Elvis. Yes. The king himself. The king has entered the building. Okay. Wow. So, I have almost no knowledge of Elvis, um, much to, I'm sure, everyone's surprise, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> me and my 80s self. But why is he called the king? What is he the king of? Wow, so he's the king of rock and roll, baby. Um, it's This is something that for the longest time I didn't know why. And it's something that I was always curious to really dig in and just kind of figure out why Elvis. What was so special about him that he became the king of rock and roll? Something that he's never been dethroned from. He will always be the king. There will never be a time when he's not the king. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I listened to, I remember listening to Elvis when I was really little. I, I want to say that he was the first secular artist that I ever remember, like actively listening to when I was like five or six years old. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, my, my dad was in the Christian music business. And so that's literally what we had all around growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember living in Alabama so that was a that's how I know it was a long time ago because we I moved away from there when I was still pretty young, um, but I remember having Elvis's greatest hits on CD, and that was like the first thing that I remember listening to that wasn't part of the Christian music scene, and and then like right after that uh, I got into Michael Jackson and the Beatles, and then from there that's when I kind of like discovered everything else almost at once wow um but there's there was always just that thing where i was just like what why elvis what did he do and so whenever i did my research um for this week that was kind of the thing i really wanted to zero in on and so i watched several documentaries i've watched live footage i've read a lot of articles and information sites to just kind of try and answer this question and honestly i feel like the answer is as simple as that he was the first great 
pioneer of rock and roll music. The first one to truly have everything. And to the fact that he truly was the best of his era. So if you look at the 50s, the 50s was the was the birthplace of rock and roll. And, you know, it's it's stemming all from, you know, rhythm and blues and mixing with a healthy little dose of pop music. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, the most the biggest backbone of of that first wave was the blues. Just about every rock song of that decade was written in the 12 bar blues progression. Yeah. As I'm sure you've picked up on, as I'm sure you've picked up with a lot of these songs on this list. Yeah. It's, it's that chord progression. Um, but when Elvis was not the first rock and roll star to come along, because Chuck Berry comes before him, you still, you've got Bill Haley and his comets, you've got Carl Perkins, you've got, you know, several artists, Jerry Lee Lewis, that are already setting the stage for rock and roll. Little Richard came before Elvis. Um, but when Elvis came along, he just, he presented it in such a way that just completely blew everyone away. Hmm. I've, I read a lot of quotes from a lot of the 60s and 70s era musicians, the people that were kids when Elvis came around. And they all just kept saying the same thing. They felt that Elvis was from another planet, that he wasn't even human. That I remember, um, I want to say it was either, I, I want to say it was Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones said that um, hearing Elvis for the first time was like going from seeing the world in black and white and all of a sudden it turning color. Mm. Wow. I mean, these are strong statements. Is it just the way that he presented like the music like the way he was a showman or a big well yes that was a big part of it he was the first i want to say he was the first true rock and roll showman um and you know he he was the first super attractive rock star Mm -hmm. he was the first one to kind of be the the heartthrob the first um the first true celebrity musician as far as just being a teen heartthrob even like the guys before him like frank sinatra and all those guys kind of still weren't like you know they didn't melt people's hearts in that way when elvis came along he was very good looking he had that charisma that charm about him that no other rock musician had at that time um he knew how to entertain. He was an incredible showman, really watching live footage of him. Just, he was one of the greatest ever to put on a show and to watch. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the biggest thing though, was his voice. His voice was so revolutionary for that time because a lot of people, when they first heard him, they thought he was a black musician because he had so much soul in his voice. Mm. And then realizing that he was white and also that he was, you know, one of the most attractive men in music. uh, It just, it just lit this wildfire. And then he also just had the songs to back it up. He had a great band behind him. Oh, that's true. And he just put out hit song after hit song after hit song. He just, he really 
showed what rock music was capable of becoming something more than just a teen fad but being something that could just completely engulf the entire world and that's what you mean by he was, he was the first the... to have it all he had the looks and the voice and the music and the and, and the, the persona. persona right because he's he's also the showman as well okay. yeah he just he everything everything that you need to be one of the greats he had it where other artists of his time they had one or two of those things but they didn't have all of them. and he was the first one and he was the first one to ha- to be the complete package uh-huh. something that very few artists after him would have you know it wouldn't be until you know the only other ones that you could even put in his level are the beatles and michael jackson and um you know those guys i mean just he was that level and so you know when when you set the foundation like that then of course you're going to become the king but really where i think that he secured his legacy was in the 60s oh oh so we have multiple elvis eras here yes and that's what i actually intentionally represent in our song is I'm actually showing I'm the first half is his the first half of his career and the second half of the list is the back half of his career. Okay. And so when we so I guess we'll just kind of run through his his history here for a minute. So he he came on the scene in fifty five. That's when his first record came out when he started getting his first number one hits. Um, and by the way, he, I want to say he has like 19 number one hits. Remember how I talk about people, you're lucky to have one. We're freaking out about Blondie having Uh four. Yeah, he's, and I can, I can do a quick double check of this number just to be sure. But I mean, just also he, I want to say he holds the record for number one singles. He had, um, five number one singles in 1956 wow 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 how do they not start competing with each other or do they because it's just is literally one would pop up the other one would immediately jump on so he had uh i i want to say the count is 16 and the beatles had somewhere in the 30s is what you said at some point um yeah i think maybe the beatles have more i want to say they maybe have somewhere in the 20s but still to have that many number one hits is just staggering right well i mean i was just curious because he's the king he should have the most number one hits but i guess apparently not (laughs) but it is reported that he has sold the most overall records Ooh. Which is they from what I've read, it's impossible to know exactly how many because they didn't start tracking that until the late fifties when Elvis was already at his biggest mm-hmm. point. But it's estimated that he's the only musician to sell more than a billion copies of his music. So before we get too much into the different eras of Elvis, let's go through the history in full. I guess kind of a crash course. Yes. So uh-huh. how did he get started? So again, so he was uh, he's originally from Mississippi, 
and moved to Memphis when he was, I want to say 12. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's where Graceland is. That's kind of where Elvis's legacy lives. Is Is that where that famous uh, studio is? Um, oh, which studio are you talking about? I think it was on an Ozzy and Jacks episode. Uh, one of my friends went to Memphis. He, you know, got obsessed with Elvis mm-hmm. after going there. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm sh- I'm sure there is because, especially at that time, that was one of the music capitals of the of the oh. United States. Okay, so we got there to report. I would say it's the. Oh no! Because again, he was only 12 years old. His his oh. father moved there just to get a better job and make some and make a better he life for his project. family but of course once he once he was there then uh he really started to absorb all the music that was around him is when he really discovered a lot of black music he went to black gospel church growing up and you know he sat at the feet of the original great greats like Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and just really absorbed everything that was coming in around him in Memphis because it was such a melting pot of different sounds and genres mm. and and styles. And so, you know, when he was only, I want to say he was only 19 when he first started recording. Wow. And, and so 1954 is when he first started recording, but it was in 55, the first album came out. And then um, right at the turn of 56 is when he got uh, four number one singles in a row. Wow. And are, I would I would assume so, those are all on the... They didn't... No. So really, Elvis was not an album-centered artist. He released singles mostly. And that's really kind of how it was back oh, then. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Really, things didn't start focusing to albums until about the time the Beatles came around. Hmm. Back then, and even still, when the Beatles were around, singles were the main driving force. A lot of the Beatles' biggest songs were standalone singles that didn't appear on records. The way that people viewed records was the stuff that wasn't good enough to be singles, you put on the record. And people will still go buy it because they love the singles so much that they'll just get their hands on whatever music is out there. Ah, uh, a lot has changed. So typically, you're... yes, the hit songs were never on the albums. That really didn't start until about the late 60s that people used the big single as an incentive to go get the right. record. Because the records got the new hit single on it. Yep, that's that's what I imagine. It was very, the industry was propelled more around the singles. They were easier to make. Um, they were less expensive to produce, and because they were less expensive to buy, they tended to sell better. Hmm. And so most of Elvis's big hits were not on albums. Most of his albums, if you look through, are either movie soundtracks or like compilation records or live records. Hmm. And that's why you really have to. That's why all of our songs for this list on Spotify are all the essential Elvis Presley deluxe edition, you know, instead of the individual album. Yes, because that's because that's the, that's the best place to find all of the, all of the songs that you need to listen to. They're not going to be on record. Okay. But, you know, the first, his first album did help 
to propel him to stardom because it was a very landmark record. And then, yeah, 56 was his big year where he just exploded and became the biggest name in the world. And so I imagine he started touring. Yes, he was he was touring relentlessly. And he also that's also what helped is he became a big live act, mainly for his controversial hip gyrations, Mm. which I'm sure that you've heard about. I have now. It's oh okay. That's always been one of the biggest things about Elvis' legacy. So I'm sure you've seen videos or footage of him when he sings. He kind of like just shakes his hips around, kind uh-huh. of struts around. Well, that was very very controversial back in the day. Um, conservative Americans were outraged, saying that it was too perverse to show to a young <laughs> audience. It became standard practice that if he was going to appear on TV, the camera had to show him shoulders up on. Wow. As, as fear of inciting the mass media with such um, vulgarity as uh, gyrating hips. He was known <laughs> as Pelvis Elvis. And, and El- I have to ask, Elvis Presley is his real name? Okay. Yes, it is. Just make it. That is his God-given birth name. Ring. Um, He's yes, and oh yeah, just oh. all through fifty six, fifty seven, fifty eight, just everything he touches turns to gold. And what happens at around, um, let's see, at the end of fifty six into fifty seven is when he starts to transition into becoming a movie star. Oh, I've heard about this, and and. It became that the majority of his big hits were songs that he writes for these movies he appears huh. in. And so a lot of his big songs were from movies like Love Me Tender and Jailhouse Rock and Viva Las Vegas. You know, these were all songs that were written for the movies that he was in. And so. At this point, he stops touring because literally all of his time is he would do like two movies wow. a year. As soon as he finished one, as soon as he finished one, they put him on the next one. And the, at first, the movies were vastly popular mm-hmm. because everyone wanted to go see Elvis. Not only were they getting to get a full inch feature length in color of his face, but of course, all of the songs he would write for the movie are in the movie. Like he would perform them. Like they were musical. That's crazy. That's. And so he just. So that definitely also propelled him to becoming even more well known as he became part of the Hollywood scene as well. That's kind of like some Eddie Murphy. And then. Right. Did Eddie Murphy do that? He only had like one hit. I guess Eddie Murphy's the other way around. That's true. But. <laughs> yeah, he he was a movie star first, and then released one fairly terrible, <laughs> but it was a pretty big hit. Uh, okay. Yeah, and then in '59, he is either in late '58 or '59. He got uh, drafted into the army, mm. which there's a, there's a lot of conspiracies about if that was intentionally done by conservative groups to get him from 
polluting the the nation's youth with his movements and his music. Hmm. And so he spent a year and a half or so in Germany as a um, as a tank operator. Right. This was during the wall. You know, the wall in in. Yeah, okay. Oh yeah. Uh huh. I got my history. Yeah, 1959, 1959 was a was the really the year the first wave of rock died mm. because all of the big rock stars disappeared in '59. Um, Chuck Berry got arrested for drug possession. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis married his 13 year old cousin, and everyone shunned him. Uh, Little Richard retired and decided to become a preacher, although that didn't last for very long. Um, and then Buddy Holly died in a plane crash oh, at the yeah. beginning of 59. And so it was just kind of like all of the big rock stars just disappeared. And that's why like there was this big hole that the, eventually the Beatles ended up filling in the early 60s. It began the mm. second wave. And so in 1960, Elvis returns and he immediately just goes back to making movies. But at this point, this is when kind of his relevancy starts to disappear. He gets a couple more number one singles at the beginning of the decade. But by about 63, he was really starting to lose his um, and this- importance. Or no. And they're bringing the new wave of rock and and he just he wasn't updating his style he just kind of was doing the same thing over and over again which really was not his fault he was in a bad management contract where just oh he really and elvis was such a nice guy that he like never mm. stood up for himself he hated doing he hated doing the movies he hated the songs he had to write but it was just kind of like the people in power that owned him pretty much were saying just like, too bad. This is, you know, we're still making money off of this. We don't care that it's not the biggest thing in the world. You're just going to keep doing it until literally no one mm. cares about you anymore. And it really started to just put it's him in a sad, big yeah. depressive state. Like if from the, from 62, it would be, seven years before he had another number mm. one hit and so he did change his uh style eventually right yes yeah, so and 68 we have the now iconic and this was literally what it was called it aired on nbc it's the elvis 68 comeback special hmm. and it's it's a it's it was pretty much like a it was like half concert half um kind of just like intimate evening with Elvis where he kind of like talks about certain songs and shares some of his favorite memories but when he goes on like this is the moment where i believe that he truly earned his title as the king of rock and roll i've watched the comeback special i think it was his best there was work a 50th he ever anniversary did. wasn't there i mean at some point I remember that happened. Yeah, that would have been 28. That would right. have been 2018. I remember. What it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
do yourself a favor and watch that sometime. It when I watched that, I was just like, oh my gosh, I understand now. I really, I mean, he he was on fire on that show. I mean, just he looked good, he played well, his voice sounded incredible, and he just you could still tell that he just he still had it. And I think that was the point is he wanted to show the world, guys, I'm still Elvis and I'm still mm-hmm. the king of rock and roll. And when after that came up, he shot right wow. back up. started releasing more music and really kind of had. Yep. And although he only had one more number one single after that, but still it was a much more competitive market that he got that number one single in. Music pretty much. And, uh, and one, and that number one single is one of the songs on our list that we'll, I'll talk more about that in depth when we get to it. And so it was during this point, and especially as we get into the seventies that he, be, um, he adopts that persona that I feel like most people associate with him. The, oh, thank you very much. And the, the, like the jumpsuit and the big sunglasses kind of a bit fatter, like the fat so Elvis period, um, you know, the, no, he was very, very clean cut, very, um, very sleek. Even in the comeback special, he's wearing a, just a tight leather jacket, leather pants, you know. And then I would say about 1970 is when he adopted that persona. The the Vegas mm. persona. Is, was that a management decision? No, that was his decision. That's He said that's how he's always wanted to be and that his management never wow. liked him. Pretty much he proved, he proved to his management in the comeback special. It's just like, Okay, from now on, I have control of my trajectory. None of you guys do. Hmm. Well, I mean, he did prove that he's got what it's taken to be so... his own manager because that's how we remember him now. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't remember him as, uh-huh. as uh, leather jacket and pants. I mean, I remember him as the glasses, thank you very much, big white jacket with the red on the inside and the flaming eagle on the back and the. Uh, uh-huh. uh, uh, Ring on every finger. <laughs> uh-huh. That's crazy. Yeah, so it's in the seventies that we reached mm-hmm. that point of his career, and uh, you know, at this point, it doesn't really matter how well his singles because are because he's releasing albums. Because at this point. No, because at this point, his he's not really touring all that much. He's pretty much he was he's the one that invented the Las Vegas residency, and so he pretty much like kind of packed up there and just was doing two shows a night, six nights only in Vegas for years, and just every single show he was packing. And so that just that, you know, he still released singles, but a lot of those singles were live renditions of songs that he was hmm. doing at those shows. Hmm. And so he did. And so he did that all the way through 77 when he finally. Oh, yes. Let's talk about that. So he was either mm-hmm. abducted by aliens or exploded on the porcelain throne. Those are the two uh, stories that I've heard 
over my life. <laughs> oh man, the the legend of Elvis dying on the toilet. I I had heard that yes. since I was a okay. little kid. His death. So, uh, yeah, so he he did die in the bathroom, but like the way I always heard it was just like he died taking a massive yeah. crap. <laughs> And that's not true. And he, that's just where he happened to be when his heart hmm. gave out. Wrong. So, from thousands upon thousands of oh, prescription drugs. Okay, so it wasn't cocaine. So, no. So he had a he had a personal doctor that we look back on now and feel like he like was intentionally Mm. killing Elvis because when they did the autopsy they said that his insides like they had no idea what even happened to his body all they knew is that his heart gave out they don't know why they don't know what specific drug caused it because they said that he had um, just like he literally had thousands of drugs in his body at one time that they just that he just had prescriptions for everything that he just was constantly taking stuff because his doctor told him to. He wasn't a cocaine guy, he wasn't a heroin guy, he wasn't even a marijuana guy. The reason he took those drugs is because his doctor told him and he figured well if my doctor's telling me I got to take this then I got to take it. Huh. And he was never like pressuring his doctor for more pain meds or whatever. I mean, yeah, it absolutely did because once his doctor was... Oh, whoa. Sorry, I didn't mean for that big crash to happen. I mean, once his doctor started over-prescribing him, of course, his body was demanding that he have it at all times. Oh. But he didn't realize what was happening. Okay. Because at this still at this point in history, abuse of prescription drugs was not a big thing. Everyone was much more worried about cocaine and heroin and marijuana and speed and all the stuff that all the other bands were doing that was illegal, that we weren't looking at what the doctors were giving these guys that was legal. So is this the event that changed that? And so he unwittingly... No, I would say even still, that his doctor wasn't called out on that Hmm. until much later. Okay. It was kind of one of those things that it's 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 a story that is kind of unraveled as the years have gone on. Wow. Especially in light of everything that's going on now with all of the artists dying mm-hmm. of opioid overdoses, I would say that Elvis was the original to where he just he had no idea how badly he was abusing it he thought that he was doing what he had to do and you know just and you look at the last year or so of his life and it's frightening um that's when he got so overweight his face swelled and you just you look at him and he just looked like he was just an empty shell of a man Mm. but he was still performing he performed up to a week before he died. And there's footage of that concert and it's just it's it's hard to watch because you could just didn't even look like the same guy. But he's still singing his guts out. That's 
That's kind of sad. Was was he off for that week because he was yeah. feeling so bad, or was that just? No, just just because he had natural breaks in his schedule Another before, show. you know. Okay. Yeah. Like he was actually supposed to be on his way out the door to go do another set mm. of shows and mm. didn't get out the door. So, but that, that does I guess, answer your question or are there any, were there other things that you were curious about? Do you have it? Is there about anything else you want to know I mean, about his I'm history? sure there are cool little tidbits that you'd like to share. So I guess this is a good time for those. Um, let me let me think. Um, there are several interesting things, but I think that those those will apply okay. more when we get to the songs, because there are some songs on this list that have special milestones attached to and them. And you put these in chronological order, I'm sure. So, oh, okay. You just divided them. Up no, right I now. did not. Okay. They're in the they're they're the eras are like the first three songs are the first era. The second three songs are in the latter era, but within the era, they're not. In the okay, order. so before recording this, you had me listen to the Beatles and the Who and the Cars and the Police, right? Well, the cars and the police I had asked oh, you right, to do cause... for Blondie. The Beatles and the Who, just because to just kind of show where not only what the logical next step was after Elvis's first period, but to also show what was going on at the time of Elvis's okay. second period. Okay. As a compare and contrast. Because you asked the Beatles what their favorite group was or artist was they'll say it was Elvis they called him the Messiah he's whenever they were teenagers in Liverpool um, because they they got all of that all that first wave of rock stuff later Mm -hmm. kind of on a delay like I would say like 59 60 is when they were starting to get all the mid Mm -hmm. stuff and they said when Elvis was introduced to him. They said that this is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the guy that's going to lead us to the wow. land. Um, since they were, you know, the biggest band. It, it, oh in, yeah, they absolutely were. I would say in music history, they're the biggest. That's crazy. Okay. And, and Elvis is. Yes, yeah. they absolutely are. Cause they're the second best selling artists of all time. They're where Elvis is reportedly crossed a billion. The Beatles are roughly around the eight hundred eight hundred million you mean? mark. <laughs> yeah, or eight hundred million, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, eight hundred thousand, that's not correct. Uh, and there's you know, Michael Jackson's really the only one yeah. else in that caliber. Everyone else is just way wow. underneath. Okay. I I don't think I have any more questions for Elvis because so, you definitely have yeah. a lot more information for the songs. So you can go ahead and take a break. My yeah, interest so is, is your interest peaked now. So hopefully now whenever we talk about these songs, you'll kind of have a bit of a new perspective on it. Because I absolutely do. 
I listened to the songs before I learned all this stuff, and then I went back and listened to them again after learning all this, mm-hmm. and the songs sound mm-hmm. completely different to me. So, yeah, okay, we'll go ahead and take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll go ahead and start talking about these songs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Elvis and his life and why he's the king. And now it's time to talk about our six songs that we picked for this episode. So, Lucas, what do I mean by that for our viewers or listeners who have not been with us before? So, the reason why we dedicate an entire segment to talking about songs is it gives us an opportunity to concretely dive into specific music qualities to um, talk about more in depth about their relevance, their importance, what they brought to the table musically, as well as providing a, a good sampler for those of you guys that may not be familiar with the music. So for instance, if you've never listened to Elvis before, much like um, Grant was very unaware of Elvis's contributions to music, these six songs will serve as the best starting point for anyone that has never heard his music before. As well as, I try and pick the songs in a way to where they have a good flow from start to finish. The songs transition well off of each other. That they have a direction that they're leading towards with a great cathartic ending. So uh, I'm not just picking the six most popular ones not picking my six favorite songs rather i'm picking the six songs that will um that will match those set of criteria so um in the link for the episode in the description for the episode you'll find a link that'll take you to a spotify playlist that'll have these songs including the bonus song as well as the songs from all of our previous episodes at this point the list has gotten to a pretty good size to where you could probably hit shuffle and get a pretty good variety of what we have to offer. could be almost like a little radio station. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so let's go ahead and get started. So um, the first song is... Oh, it's um, One for the Money. Uh, Oh, Blue Suede Shoes. (laughs) Blue Suede Shoes. I had to sing Baby, don't step on my Blue Suede Shoes. (laughs) I had to sing it because uh, it obviously, it starts pretty you know, pretty much just him singing. And then the band kind of yeah. comes in on their own. Uh, and an incredibly iconic intro. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, this is an old blue standard, is it? No, no. it's not an old blue standard. The original was written only a year before. Elvis okay. Recorded. So it is a cover though. Just about everything Elvis did was a cover except for his, some of his soundtrack work but he never wrote the music himself he always had either songwriters that were presenting work to him that he just kind of put that he elvisified mm, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to how to make that a a, a <laughs> verb um or that he would just take the songs that he 
loved growing up or that he just heard that perhaps were not getting the recognition that they needed and he would kind of turn them into hits. Hmm. Okay. But he was always able to do it in a way to where they always sounded like him. Yeah, this definitely does sound like him. I, I knew it was a cover because I remember there was a version of Blue Suede Shoes that had the first recorded distortion on it. I remember hearing that somewhere. Hmm. And and it was they had uh they had your amp cabinet and uh, obviously there's a speaker and they put in behind the speaker and it gave kind of a rattling sound. They kind of actually liked the sound, so they kept it. Uh, but that was the first distortion. And it was on this song. And I figured it wasn't Elvis because I didn't hear that sound on this uh, song. But Yeah, I want to say that was probably a later version oh, of the song. Oh, okay. Maybe. Because there was only one version of the song that existed before it, and I, I'm pretty sure that it's not that one. So this was the first cover. Because I did... This was the first cover of it. Did this popularize it? Would you say? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Um, this was this was one of the one of the early big hits for him. So this was this was actually on the first record, and then it was kind of one of the ones they realized this is so good we need to put it out as a mm-hmm. single, which was kind of contrary to what happened at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, this actually opened his his first album. Now he had had singles that came out before that record, but he hadn't had any number one singles before the record came. And this out. was a number one. No, it oh. actually wasn't. Um, it's kind of a song that has become very iconic as time has gone on. I want to say it reached like number twenty two, but its B side actually ended up becoming the number one hit which was don't be cruel oh yes i know that song and so it kind of as it as it went up in the charts um they ended up actually swapping places where don't be cruel became the a side (laughs) and uh blue suede shoes became the b side and that was actually the single that went to number one huh okay that's kind of cool but yeah but this song is still has become one of his most iconic songs. It's also very short. Oh, yeah, as most songs were at that mm-hmm. time. It's got... Um, no, no. It's got the 12-bar blues. Like, even when they're doing those hits, you know, that I guess are kind mm-hmm. of bluesy hits. Um, yes. That's still part of the 12-bar rotation. They never get out of that, the whole song. So this is obviously very uh-huh. early career. And and I'm not surprised that you said that this was one of his first um, songs. That was on the first. Yeah, record. this was this was 1955 mm-hmm. when this song was recorded. And he's got a great guitarist. Yes, he does. He had probably the best backing band, maybe outside of Buddy Holly's The Crickets, mm-hmm. uh, which was the name of his backing band. Um, Elvis just he had. He really worked hard to cultivate um, a band that fit his style, which was white guys sounding like black musicians. Hmm. And so he just he really got a tight band around him. 
And then Elvis played acoustic on all of his records, as well as when he a lot of what he did live, uh, at least in the early days, was uh, he played with an acoustic guitar. Okay, and then he's a very great guitar player, and he obviously kind of very underrated in that area. He changed from that, I'm sure. Yes, when he got to the 70s, right. he focused more on being a showman mm-hmm. and a frontman. But like you know, his um, his hip gyrations was from when he's standing at the mic playing the guitar. Hmm. Aha! I know what you're talking about. Because back in back in the day, people strung their guitars very high up. Yeah, they didn't they didn't play low, and so you know, you think how could that happen while holding guitar? Well, it's because he had the guitar up pretty high, mm-hmm. and so he still had a lot of room down there to be able to move around. Yeah. Which, of course, he said was just what his body naturally did when music came on. Just, you know, his body got into the boogie and moved. He said he couldn't help it. And he didn't know that he was causing a controversy until after the fact where people were accusing him of being the Antichrist, using his pelvis to enslave the masses of the youth. And he was just like, uh, no, that's not what's happening. <laughs> it's just a natural reaction to my love of music. I just can't help but move. And because I got to stay positioned at the mic, I can't move around. So that's just my way of being able to um, to be able to have some motion while still being contained in one space because I got to sing. I can definitely relate to that. You know, I got a headbang every time music comes on that I like. And <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. I'm usually never still while listening yeah. to music. <laughs> yeah, and as you this say, song is one of those that really does with the swing of it, it makes you kinda wanna boogie. You know? So oh, I can yeah. totally understand where he's coming from on that. But um uh, mm-hmm. I guess the reason why I mentioned the guitar is very amazing to me to hear so many different into music. I don't know if that was normal. Yeah. But he definitely uh, he definitely had a band that helped push playing forward as far as musical accompaniment and rock and roll mm-hmm. music. Um, he was also the first rock and roll artist to put the vocals so far in front of the instrumentation. Mm. Where um, or no, sorry, it was the other way around where he laid it back to where you can hear what's going on around him. Oh, that's certain. Where a lot of other recordings, the vocals very much overshadow the backing band. He requested that the vocals be brought back to where you can still hear what's going on, but to where you also like you hear the rest of the band very that's clearly. Nice. That was not normal of that time. That was something that he kind of helped pioneer. Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, so, uh, and then, yeah, to answer your question about, or to answer your comment on why the songs are so short that's just back in the day like if your single exceeded like three and a half minutes then like they would it would be ordered to be cut down mm-hmm. like no one no one released songs longer than that until much later on right i i would imagine. and so that's yeah it wasn't really till the 60s that people started recording longer songs like that right and then you got the 70s so <laughs> with the half hour long stuff where yeah every where it pendulum swung the other way where everything was really yeah. too long <laughs> yeah 
everyone was making double albums full of 12 minute epics. Yeah. Um, and another, uh, I would say, it is a blues blues uh, twelve bar progression. Is our next song, which is you mentioned it earlier, yes. is Jailhouse Rock. Jailhouse Rock, yeah. So this was written for a movie, you said of the same yes, it was. title. I'm sure. Uh huh. Movie Jailhouse Rock. This was one of his first movies that he did. Um, so this was in the beginning of his movie career phase. This is often considered one of the best movies he made. Um, again, because he was kind of still early in it, it was very, he was giving more authentic performances. It wasn't as much as he was phoning it in yet. Um, this has kind of become like, like the de facto Elvis. Yeah, I would say so. I feel like if you ask, if you ask someone to name an Elvis song, they're going to either say this or our next yes. song. And these are kind of like the two big iconic songs that I feel like people could probably, even if they don't know Elvis or music that well, could probably sing a line or two of. Yeah. And, and Motley Crue covered this song. Everyone's covered <laughs> this song. Well, I mean, the first, the first version I heard was the Motley Crue version. And it's okay. Not, did you know it was Elvis at the time? I did after about thirty seconds because that's how long it took my dad to keep the secret, uh, or that's okay. how long he could keep the secret, <laughs> I should say. But um, uh-huh. I have to say, Motley, Jailhouse Rock is better than than the cover. It. <laughs> Yeah. This song can't be covered. I, I think because it's A so iconic because of his voice and B there's nothing that you can do musically to make it better. Yeah, because it's very simple. But man, yeah, to go on his voice. His voice is so good on this mm-hmm. song. This is among his best early period vocal performances. And there's some I I guess prominent compared to some of the other songs in this list, piano piece, piano piece, piano. Yes. Uh-huh. It does. It kind of plays lick kind of in the middle. They're not really complicated. They're just it's there. That boogie yeah, woogie. It's just kind of jamming. It's that boogie woogie piano. Very rock. Oh yeah. Especially early rock. So was this jailhouse rock movie? Was this just a, uh, uh, Excuse me, get Elvis to write more music. Actually, uh, a... yeah, I mean, there, there okay. are plots to them. Uh, but I mean, really, you could just say that they were vehicles to move Elvis's persona <laughs> forward. That's what I because it started off, it started off that they had movies that happened to have Elvis and his songs in them where he wasn't the main oh. character. But then by the time we got to Jailhouse Rock, it was just kind of like, it was full well known that the reason the movie exists. But I mean, the movie also does have a plot mm-hmm. to it. It's not like, you know, it's not like the the movies the Beatles made where there's really no plot. There's just kind of like skits in between. Almost like the, I'd say there's a plot to the wall, but it's not clear if you haven't really researched the album. Well, and also that's that's because that's the movie was made well after the album was made. That's that's true too, 
But all that to say, you know. If the, the, the album wasn't made with a movie in mind, it was just kind of one of those things they decided after the fact. But in Jailhouse Rock, the, mo- the songs were written during the production of that movie. Yeah, okay. So I guess this is this song is what you would call an Elvis Presley original, but again, he didn't write it. He had a he had a songwriting duo that wrote a lot of his songs at that period. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I think. But you know, still, this this song exudes nothing but Elvis. Yeah, <laughs> and he just that was he had such a gift of translating whatever he had into something that was completely his own. Mm-hmm. So, and then, yeah, in the movie, the, the song, there's this huge dance number of, in a, in a stylized prison block. Oh, of all yeah. These inmates dancing around. And I think I've seen uh, that. Elvis said that he was actually very nervous because he was not a, he was not a formal dancer like that doing like big dance numbers and was terrified to film this scene. Oh, practiced it all night beforehand just like hoping that he wouldn't mess it up and his dancing looks very good in it it's very natural that's good that's good i mean he is a natural dancer we talked about that earlier he's he's naturally yeah just it's a it's a but different it's a, kind yeah. of dancing no that's the kind of dancing that i choreographed oh, dancing. choreographed dancing is just scary <laughs> i can relate to him on that. yeah um i've done that before so this this is a a big hit that everybody should know. And our next song is another one that you mentioned earlier, which if you want to go ahead and move yes. on to this one, is Yeah, sure. Hound, Hound dog. dog. You ain't nothing but it. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's this is this is this is huge. This is iconic. This is a song that's just kind of like along with Jailhouse Rock, it's transcended being a mere rock and roll mm-hmm. song. It's just like, it's one of those few things that's just in so many people's uh, minds that even if they don't listen to music, they just, they know this song. It is once again. It's one of the, I would, over. I'd say it's yeah. one of the most popular songs ever written. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I've known that this song has existed probably before I knew that I existed. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Like I, I felt like even when I was like five or six, listening to that original CD, like I already, I felt like I already knew yeah. that song. Oh, man, because I feel like I, I feel like I remember looking in that CD for Hound Dog, but I can't remember where I had heard it before. That's crazy, because I feel the same way about it, and it's once again another twelve-bar blues song. So, obviously, uh-huh. it's very early career. Um. Yes, this was like he had number one hits before this, but I feel like that this was the number one song that just like completely put him over mm-hmm. the top. So this this was in that that huge nineteen fifty six year. Mm. This was remember when I said he had four number one hits in a row? This was the fourth. Ooh, okay. But this was also the biggest selling single of his career. I believe it. I mean, <laughs> and I'm 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 one of I want to say that for a long until like the 90s, it held the record for number of weeks at number one. Fourteen. Wow. Weeks. What beat it? Oh no, no seven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a boys to men song. 
That's so sad. My boys to I don't even I can't even name song. I don't even name one yeah. for me. I don't want to have that ruined. Okay. Um wow. That's still a pretty good record cuz that's that's what so, like almost 40 years. Yeah, I mean, you know. Let's see. Actually no, hold on. I was I was reading that wrong. It has um it was at the top of the charts for 11 oh, okay. weeks. Still, that's that's still. almost 3 months. That's 3 more months mm-hmm. than I've had a single at the top of the charts. So <laughs> That's wow. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, music wasn't very turbulent and at this it's, time, so it's it's not like he was fighting anybody. But still, not really. I mean, again, you had a couple other rock and roll, and then of course you had like a lot of the adult pop music that was going on at that time. That's just you listen to it, and it's just like disgusting mm-hmm. slop. Uh. But I mean, just yeah, there was no one even touched Elvis's popularity at that time. No, no one could even sniff it. I would say maybe the closest would be like Chuck Berry, but Chuck Berry only ever had one number one single in his life. Johnny Be Good. Oh, nope. It's it's a it's a novelty song he wrote around the end of the sixties called "My Dingling." What? Yeah, it's a it's a stupid song. It's so terrible. But that was his only number one I'm, hit. At least he got one. <laughs> so that again, to solidify him as the king of rock and roll, he was the only rock and roll guy really getting number one singles at that right. time. And this song is the first, I think, in this set. And probably the first, the of his career to have those backing vocals. It wasn't the first of his career, but it was definitely, I would say the most um, popular version or most popular song to have that. Um, I'm trying, I want to say they were called the Jordanelles. Hmm. Okay. And uh, he, he used them on several different, um, instances. Yeah, and in, in this mix, they sound kind of uh, mid-heavy. They don't sound they're mixed like we learned how to mix things in the 50s. They sound very 50s. Do yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and later on in the Jordan, yeah. the Jordanaires. I think yeah. I said the Jordanaires. Jordan uh, later on in the set, they'll kind of clear up and, and the mixing will get definitely way better. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. They, they stayed with them would assume not for not for terribly long i think just for a couple years but he had some other hit songs with them featured um but yeah so this song was originally recorded in the early 50s Mm -hmm. and then um by the same guys that it was written by the same guys that wrote jailhouse rock but they originally wrote it for a different artist Mm -hmm. And then Elvis picked it up, and of course, his became the uh, the standard version. That song, in of itself, has sold ten million. Wow! Times. One of the biggest. I bet they're glad they time. didn't have the other person do that song. <laughs> oh, I know the other person oh. did do it. 
They said they actually said that they hated Elvis's wow. rendition. But they said they said once it sold about seven million copies, we started to like <laughs> it a little more. I bet they I bet their uh, wallets like it, it a started more. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they were getting at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then oh, but yeah, it's very simple song, but just again, very very iconic. I had something else to say. Oh, the meaning of this song. Is it about a dog? No. Is it about somebody he doesn't like? So the original, it, the original version was actually sung by a female artist, and she's saying that her man is nothing but a oh. hound dog. Just saying that, you know, you're good for nothing, you know, you're more bark than bite. Saying when you, you know, a hound dog, like, you know, most at that time, what you would associate with a hound dog is fox hunting mm-hmm. or just hunting in general. You go and shoot something, you're, the hound dog goes and gets it for mm. you. Saying, you ain't ever caught a rabbit. You ain't no friend of mine. It's like, if you're not catching stuff for me, what good are you? You're just crying all the time. Hmm. And so just this, the, whole, the whole song is a diss track. Of course, Elvis modified the lyrics more to make it more masculine. Um, whether the hound dog is a girl or if it's a contemporary, it's it's ambiguous. Um, but the original meaning was it's a woman saying to her man that you know you you're not useful, you're not um, you're not providing me with anything. Okay. So yeah, that's what the lyrics are getting at of this song, because I mean. Blue suede yeah. shoes. He's obsessed with his shoes, and Jailhouse Rock is obviously a music number. So, <laughs> uh-huh. and the rest of the songs are pretty clear too. So, uh, and then yeah. this is our last song of the era before he goes to Germany. Yes, the pre-war era. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so after he comes back, he writes the other three after he kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, sticks to management and uh, does what he wants to do. Yeah, so everything here is actually 68 and onwards. We're not even looking at wow. 60 to 67. So this, is, this is the comeback. In this period. period. So we're kind of jumping quite okay. far ahead. Yes. Although the the next song is actually pre comeback special, but it shows just where he was going artistically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely this next song is a little less conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, this was the first one of the set when you know I turned to you. I'm like this. I've never before and it was mixed i mean the first thing i thought of when i heard it start up was the doors just without a keyboard because the drums were panned to one side and it was kind Uh of i don't know something about it uh and maybe there's a reason for that because it is the same era um yeah so to just kind of put your mind of what was musically going on 68 you had the Beatles, towards the end of their career, you know, this is a post Sgt. Pepper music landscape. The Doors are on the scene. We're one year away from Led Zeppelin coming on. The Rolling Stones are about to start their classic period. 
Um, you have Jimi Hendrix on the scene by this point. Pink Floyd is already in motion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is this is a much different world than the mid-50s when, when Elvis is the be-all, mm-hmm. end-all. Now he's he's in direct competition with the people that he inspired. Mm-hmm. He's got things. And so, um, yeah, but I think that his music evolved into something that's still, it was, it updated his sound, but it was still only Yes, him. that is true. It's still, it still has that Elvis attitude. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned earlier that he had mixed the vocals back to um, let the instruments shine. And one of, one of the ways that you can do that, yes. you know, you were mentioning leveling, but one of the other ways that you can make things shine differently in a mix is panning. And so you'll notice that every instrument is panning. like hard left or hard right. Like the brass is panned hard right with the drums and the guitars are like hard left or whatever. Um, the only thing that's mm-hmm. is the vocals. And that that allows you to hear the differences and to hear the different things. You know, if you want to make something stand out, you pan it left and right versus in the middle. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, the the ability to pan was still fairly new at this point. I want to say 66 is when they Mm -hmm. pioneered stereo before everything was mono. And the the Beatles were kind of the first to really experiment with the possibilities of stereo Mm -hmm. sound. Um, and, and then, yeah, in the years that followed, everyone painted Mm -hmm. everything. Everyone was seeing what, what they could do. And this is the time of the, of the, and so front, right, front, left, back, right, back, left experimentation. (laughs) Or so I remember. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we still hadn't, well, no, we still hadn't gotten the quadraphonic sound yet. I mean, you only have two years. So this is, I would say, I want to say Quadraphonic came around pretty soon after this, though. Like, probably like 69 mm, or 70. Because mm-hmm. Pink, Pink Floyd were the were the were kind of the first band to really fully utilize Quadraphonic. <laughs> yeah, my mind went straight to them, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, but yeah, stereo. I want to say came around like sixty five, sixty six, and so this this would align with them kind of really seeing what they could do with stereo. And yeah, you're right. the 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 mix sounds incredible now at this mm-hmm. point compared to where we were. The backing vocals sound really crisp, right where they need to be, right in the pocket. They're not kind of overpowering in the mids. Every instrument sounds the way that it should. You know, it's, uh, compared to where in music, somebody who would mix of a similar style would kind of make. Um, and so mm-hmm. it, it's crazy what 10 years can do for music. And yeah. so that's where we are now. And mm-hmm. I guess we can move on to the next song. <laughs> if you have nothing else to say. Oh, well, no, because there's a couple other things. things. There's a couple other things I want to talk about this. So this song was a number one hit, but it was not a number one hit in 1968 when it came out. It actually didn't hit number one until 2002. Um, on 
re on a re release. Okay. Was it was and this was this was on a this was on a single, right? <laughs> it or was an album. Yes, uh, twenty. It was for the it was for the twenty fifth anniversary of his death that it was re released and went. To but the, this one. song originally was on a was on a. It was a single. No, okay. it was a sing. It was a single. He still he he still never really did records. Or rather, when he did records, he didn't put the hits on them. Uh, this would they he tried to make this a hit, but it only got I want to say it only got up to the, like the sixties on the charts. Mm-hmm. So it was a very minor. That's great. Hit. But and it was just it really kind of stayed as an outlier in his entire career until they re-released in two thousand two. It's kind of like you wonder why this song, but since then it's become an essential. So this isn't song. your deep cut of the set. I would say oh, it's okay. the deepest cut of the set. I mean, you usually do a deep cut so compared to the others. Uh. Yeah, this is this is the one song that's not that's not immediately known. Okay, I would say, and I would say, even though it's become an essential Elvis song, I feel like this is kind of the one song that people would probably be most likely to be less right. least familiar with. Right. Well, I was certainly the least familiar with it. And another notable thing that I noticed, and I think I might have already mentioned this, but um, was that he's off the twelve bar blues now. And so he's yes, following his own. Yes, he's following his own muse. He's making his own song structure, and it's the it's kind of the Elvis flow of what he thinks the the song should turn into versus what it structurally has been over the course of the fifties. Because now yeah, we're in, he's got... in the we're in the time frame where we're experimenting more with with what music really can be. Yeah, we don't have the rules of what it's supposed to be anymore to where it's, you know, you have to have this chord progression. And I think that Elvis benefits from that. Mm-hmm. I, I can see it. I definitely think that the second half of these songs are a lot better because of it. Even though the first three songs are all iconic and I know them and I feel like I've known them for a long time. There's There comes a point where you can't do that anymore and still be original and so i think i think you're yeah. right i think elvis does benefit from the fact that you're you're able to break away from that and i think that he benefits that with that most on our next song which i really want to get to if you're done with with that yeah okay cool because this is my yeah, sure. this is my favorite song of the set oh um, yeah it was about it was about to be another war between this and the last one, but it's just there's just so many little special parts in this song. This is burning love, and I was about yeah, to say off that album, but <laughs> I don't know what album it's off of. No, it's because it's not off one. It's a it's a single. Is this one for a movie? No, he was not doing movies anymore at this point. Okay, this was this was in the seventies. This was kind of like his last hit. Oh, really? Um, he got really he got really close to getting a number one on this. Actually, stalled at oh. number two. Oh, ah, oh, because that would this would have been my guess for the number one, but obviously it was a uh, uh, little less conversation. No, but... it's actually. Um, oh, it's our next one. Well, 
as far as number ones in his lifetime, no, it's actually going to be the next song. Okay. Okay. What? Uh, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, this this song is also a contender for my favorite song on the list. But uh, I actually will say that it is the song we're going to talk about next. <laughs> yeah. So we're having similar taste here. Yeah, that which I guess is good because which is, you, which is always good. It makes for good conversation. I would consider that your musical taste is very well developed. So it's I'm glad that my musical taste is similar to yours. <laughs> oh well, thank you. Uh, I'm flattered. Uh, and well, I'll definitely have more to say about that in the final thoughts. But um, I the reason this is my favorite song is because it compared to the next one is because there's so many different chord changes and different moods that are portrayed mm-hmm. with, with like the backing vocals and how the instruments are played. Um, and, oh man, I, I love the start because yeah. it starts with your simple, like uh, bluesy riff. Uh, mm-hmm. And the piano and the guitar together, and the whole band comes in with the vocals, uh, which I think is a great way to start off the song. And it kind of follows the blues idea, which I did just mention that I'm glad he's breaking away from the blues idea. But I think this is perfect in showing where he came from musically and where he ended up, because there is that blues yeah. to it. But he adds in the six minor five four super typical pop chords and it flows naturally and yeah ah. so this so this song is <laughs> this song is pure gospel it's why it has a bluesy feel to it because those two genres come from the same place really ah. uh, but this this is actually in my opinion what i think is true elvis because this is the kind of music he grew up in Mm. because again like i had said before he went to black gospel church growing up and so and a, really a lot of his late period like when i when i say late period i mean into the 70s mm-hmm. he sung a lot of christian gospel music mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like he likes doing old hymns like how great thou art and amazing grace and oh, uh, peace yeah. in the valley like so, you know, I feel like when he gets to the end of his career, it's kind of like he's finally getting to do what he's always wanted to do. And what he has said in interviews is where he feels most naturally as a singer that he's most comfortable is as a not as a snarling rock and roll artist, kind of like in the band of Jailhouse Rock, but more as a more of a lower register soul gospel singer. Mm-hmm. It's where he always felt that he was the most comfortable in what he was naturally good at and what he eventually very intentionally trained his voice to do. Mm -hmm. Um, He was very bashful about his voice in his early career. Um, But you hear once he gets to the 70s, especially as I listen to some of his live performances in the 70s, like he worked on his voice so much to make it a very precise and very um, very soulful voice. And you can really hear it on Burning Love. You can. You definitely can. 
I remember this song. I think the first time I heard it, it was in the Lilo and Stitch movie. Yeah, that's pro- <laughs> I think it's the first time I heard it too. <laughs> probably a lot of people around our age. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably a lot of Elvis songs, I feel like, is probably they got introduced because of that. What a great movie. Yeah, it is. And I didn't appreciate it for what it was at the time. Obviously, my parents did. And they were like, hey, it's Elvis. Um, and, you know, that that was, you know, with, with Hound Dog and, and stuff was my first introduction to Elvis. But I didn't really appreciate it until listening to this list and and hearing the different way that especially, I think, a great, I'm kind of getting into little details here when I tried to say something very general. But I'll go ahead and say it. But um, the guitar line, you know, after they after he sings the chorus, you know, with the with the words, with the lyrics, they'll do another repetition of just the backing vocals. And then the guitar will do a little like Uh kind of Hawaiian sounding thing, you know, which sounds like Lilo and Stitch. And Uh towards the end of the song, he'll do it again. He was very popular in Hawaii. He did and, one of his movies based in Hawaii, which I think was a big reason for probably that yeah. popularity. But they'll they'll do that same little guitar line at the end. I think I think you know what I'm talking about. And anybody who knows the song uh-huh. would too. That that kind of slide the yeah. And then he'll slide up, and then he'll play a different chord. You know, and that mm-hmm. kind of leads you into the big finale. And the hunk of hunk of burning love. Oh yeah. That's a good finale. It is. And there's and there's different backing vocal parts that kind of add and and different instruments that add as we as we go and as we go. And it is a fade out, isn't it? Yes, I remember it, is. it being a fade out. It it's a well chosen fade out because, you know, how are you going to end that? <laughs> uh-huh. It just it just the whole song kept getting better and better as you go adding different details and and i mentioned that there's you know it's one of the one of the earlier per, uh songs was the perfect song jailhouse rock there's nothing you could change about it to make it better mm-hmm. i would say that uh-huh. love is and i'm glad that you say that this is what elvis wanted to always do but it, it is the perfect elvis song it's the perfect song of its genre i don't i think it's the best of the whole Elvis region of music, you know? Yeah. So maybe not that time frame. Certainly in, in that time frame, there's stuff that I like more. Um, Cause obviously Led Zeppelin existed b- during his era. Yeah. This but, is 1972. But, but the Elvis musical area, you know, I like that. Well, I like this. I love hearing. I love hearing that um, that love and that passion. Yes. <laughs> um, for, this was my favorite for a long time until I heard the song that we're going to talk about next. And then once I heard that song, uh, I was just like, "Okay, I actually this is my new favorite." Hmm. Okay. So I think that's a good that's a good way to kind of segue into um, <laughs> our final song of the set. Which yeah. is Suspicious Minds. Suspicious Minds. This one, I think you're right about it. It is a really good song. Uh, it was almost going to be my favorite one. But after 
multiple listens. I think Burning Love stood the test of time as far as uh, repeatability mm-hmm. um, compared to this one, because this song is, it is. A, it's a huge theme and variation, this song. You know, it's, it's not, yeah. there's not much, much change. Um, when there is change, it's great. You know, and the fact that there's no yeah. change is okay. Um, but I think and this see, is your favorite I... song, so I'll let you talk about it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and by the way, just, just so our listeners know, it's like, you know, it, com- it ultimately comes down to personal taste. It's okay if we disagree on what our favorite song of the set is. We're not going to argue about which one is objectively better. Well, not this um, <laughs> Not this, yeah. There are times when that might happen. But in this instance, no. Um, for me, this song just has that emotion to it. Even in the sections where they're playing the same part over and over again, it still like affects me because I can feel the emotion behind it. And it's like, Ooh. I want them to keep playing that section because I love it so much. I think I know what you're talking about. But yeah. this, this was Elvis's last number one while he was alive. And mm. um, it came, this came out in 69. So this was on the heels of his very successful comeback special. I feel like this song was kind of like the culmination of that success. Because to get a number one, for him to have a number one single in 69... That would have been really tough to do because just, again, kind of the music scene was really beyond him at that point. Yeah. And so to just kind of, you know, to have this be kind of his final chart topping victory, I think is a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, it so, does sound like uh, an ending, though. I'm glad yeah. it's at the end of the set. I feel like um, I feel like it's a very it's a very epic way to kind of end everything. And I think it's a kind of a you know, again, it's his last number one. I think it's just thematically it works to kind of put this at the end. And and you're right to say that there is a lot of emotion in this song. Mm-hmm. Uh the lyrics are definitely a lot more intellectual and heartfelt than Don't Step on My Shoes. Yeah, I feel um, like this is among, I feel like of all the songs on this list, this is him at his most poetic. It really is. And that's another another thing that I really liked about this song. Because even though I don't really pay attention to the lyrics as much as, you know, the average listener, I still appreciate it when they're well-written, poetic, heartfelt lyrics that give meaning to a song and add a little bit more, you know, special sauce. And Mm -hmm. this goes over and above with it because, oh, man. And the backing vocals, too, with the little echoes Mm -hmm. and well, well done. That that incredible, that incredible breakdown in the middle where the tempo slows and he gets super soulful on the vocals. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that that part sends the song over the top for me. I remember the first time I heard it, and I heard that part. I was just like, "Ooh, I have never heard this side of Elvis before. This is really good." Oh, it, it's not quite as good as the Suspicious Minds echo. I hate to break it to you, but that's probably the best part. 
Well, I mean, it's it's my favorite person. It's personally my favorite part. But yes, that that part's yeah. also great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we can't talk about this song without talking about the fade out. The uh which one? Well, he's caught in a trap and he can't walk out. So as he's fading out, or as the whole band is fading out, they fade back in. Yeah. So whose idea was that? And um, how is it in an Allison Chains song? <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a rogue engineer that um, decided to do that. That actually Elvis was not very happy about. Oh, because he felt that it um, it was tacky. But I really love it, and the way that you just explained it about the whole cognitive trap. I never thought of it that way, and that's actually a brilliant way. My mind went immediately to that. Crazy. I never considered it that way. Oh, this is why I love talking about this stuff with you. Just like, (laughs) there, even me listening to the song so many times, there's there's certain things that I just don't catch. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's that's a that's that makes it so much better now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, you're gonna have to take a few minutes to realize the full, you know, implications of that <laughs> musically. Thank you for bringing um, that to my attention. <laughs> but I I think that I thought that was uh, Elvis going. Oh, hey, I guess this would sound cool. No, but, yeah. I guess it would be some. Yeah, no, some engineer. It was smart, you know, whatever yeah. whatever the thought process was, I'm glad it's in there because it does add that, you know, and it kind of makes you pay more attention like, oh, they're coming back in. Oh, you know. I remember I remember you laughed whenever we first listened to that part. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, I did. because I remember it from being in um, I think it's Rain When I Die. That's the Alice in Chains song that I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. They do something very similar, um, but they actually have a live ending. Uh, Touch of Madness by Night Ranger does something like that. Mm. Um, I'm sure there's there's endless examples, um, but that's crazy. I would I would be safe to say I hope that this was the first one to do this. Uh, because I can't. You know, this I was can't during the era of experimentation. Early. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of an earlier version. And I can't think of any more examples of those. But anyway. So it very well could be. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to this song as well. Uh, even, even though there's not quite as much as, as Burning Love, there's a lot to this song as well. So I have nothing yeah. more about this song. Yeah. If you have more to say. And I think that we can go ahead and uh, wrap this up. So... Go ahead and uh, stick with us. We're going to be back here after a break to uh, talk about the bonus song. So stay tuned. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, everyone, welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Elvis in this episode, and we just finished talking about the songs. Just to recap, those songs were Blue Suede Shoes, Jailhouse Rock, Hound Dog, A Little Less Conversation, Burning Love, and Suspicious Minds. And now it is time for us to talk about the bonus song. Grant, what do we mean when we say a bonus song? So, for those of you who have not listened to a previous podcast, a bonus song is a song of a related artist um, that we want to feature, but for whatever reason, we won't give them a full episode. Um, And so, it's usually from artists of, like, the same genre or maybe the same period, or they have some sort of relation to the main artist, and we just want to talk about them a little bit and a certain song that they've written. So, our bonus song for this episode is Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby by Carl Perkins. This is also on the See, correct us. <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, this song to me sounded a lot like uh, Blue Suede Shoes. That's because that's by the guy who wrote it. Wow. I mean, I remember you uh, mentioned Carl Perkins being you know, around the same time of Elvis's earlier half of his career. So mm-hmm. I guess that, that huh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, there's your connection right there. So he wrote the original version of Blue Suede Shoes? Yep, he did. That would make sense. But of course, he does not get near the popularity or the credit that um, Elvis got. Oh, yeah, because I, I didn't know who this person was before this podcast. However, Carl Perkins is one of those guys that has been very influential with musicians because he was one of the he was one of the best writers of that period because again he wrote blue suede shoes he also um he didn't write this song but he wrote the the version of the song that became popular so just that's kind of more was he would know i would say his biggest claim to fame is that he was one of the favorites of the Beatles and the Beatles covered actually a lot of his songs, including everyone's trying to be my baby. But I think oh. Paul Perkins version is a little better. Mm-hmm. I think, I think there's a, a lot of really cool. The song that are just kind of funny. Uh-huh. You know, they took some honey from a tree, dressed it up and they called it me. Yeah. Know? So <laughs> this song originally came out in the thirties, but Carl Perkins did do a lot oh. of, finagling with it to kind of make it more lyrically um, I guess relational to 50s teens you know using oh, the lingo of okay. that time and um, so he he really rewrote it in a way to where it is his version whenever people cover it they say they give the credit to him and not to the original because he changed it enough mm. to kind of make it his own this isn't a Crossroads guy. What's his No, case? it's not Robert Johnson. It's not Robert Johnson. Okay. No, Robert Johnson didn't really sing a lot of love songs. It was more <laughs> like original dark blues. I mean, because when, when you talk about 1930s blues, I mean, that's immediately where my mind goes. So I just had to ask. But yeah, this I want to uh, say this was like 38, which I think Robert Johnson had already died by then because he was mm-hmm. early 30s. Uh, that's true. But this is I think this is, this is just but, a fun yeah, this is, song all around. So this is a fun song. It's got a like you said, it's got a lot of witty lyricism to it. Um and 
yeah, I just I think that Carl Perkins is just the kind of artist that it serves exactly what the bonus song should be. Artists that deserve more recognition, but don't quite have the back catalog where we're going to dedicate an hour and a half talking about them. Yep. So. So, yeah, go check out the song. Again, it's with the rest of the songs on the Spotify playlist. And let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts. I'm sure this will be an interesting conversation. Oh, yeah. Yes, it will. Um, I get... Me before this podcast, I mean, I think I'd already mentioned, you know, I hadn't listened to a lot of Elvis intentionally. Um, Obviously, I remember Hound Dog from a young age. I remember Burning Love from a young age. I've been exposed to Jailhouse Rock and Blue Suede Shoes. And then, of course, the other two songs in the list were completely new to me. And they were new in a Mm -hmm. very good way. It wasn't like, oh, this is just another blues song. Um, you know, and, and I hadn't really listened to blue suede shoes all the way through before. And I, I didn't think of that either. Um, and I guess I see Elvis now as more of a dynamic artist than I did before. I always yeah. thought he was just a, a blues guy plus burning love. <laughs> you know, but now now that now that I've learned that there's kind of two different eras to choose from and that he and his persona and his music changed over time, it I, I grow in appreciation for how him, unlike a lot of other artists, um, that he's able to change with the times and follow his own music as well, which is really hard to do. So, um yeah. And then, of course, I, I love the fact that we picked Elvis. I'm surprised it, it took you this long to get to the king. But um, it, it, and a thing that I really like about this podcast is that I've always wanted to like listen to some more Elvis songs, but I've never really had the opportunity to. And now I uh, have an excuse. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, and, and that's happened for a lot of artists, you know, and that happened, that happened with Tool and that happened with Ghost. And, and so now I actually have the experience of listening to Elvis and I can, you know, I have, I have a, a, a point where I can start now. And I always intended to listen to Elvis, but, but now, I, now I have. So <laughs> I guess yeah. that's a thought. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a that's, final thought. That's a well-formed thought. thought. <laughs> okay. So the the reason we hadn't gotten to Elvis yet is because I also did not really consider myself an Elvis fan. I really didn't know that much about him. I knew it was kind of one of the areas of music history that I was severely lacking um, and knew that I needed to understand more. And finally, I was just kind of like, you know what? I want to get to an area of music that we haven't gotten to yet. And I was just like, where is that? Oh, the 50s. We haven't done anything from the 50s yet. Well, if we're going to go to the 50s, we got to start with Elvis. And mm-hmm. going through the process of listening to a lot of songs of his that I'd never heard before. Um, I, I had heard all the songs that we included on this list. I actually had kind of selected it before. Um, I really did a, the bulk of my research. But now I'm armed to the teeth for future episodes. Uh, <laughs> what we're going to do in the future 
is we're going to then kind of zero in on specific areas of his career instead of kind of how in this one was more of a, a sampler of the different parts of his career. We're going to kind of go, okay, let's look specifically at these years and what was his music like in these years. So that's what to kind of expect going forward with Elvis episodes. And now I'm really mm-hmm. excited to do those. I have yeah. an immense uh, increase of respect for him as well as an enjoyment of his music. I always found that I never liked listening to Elvis, but I always, you know, I had to have the respect for him because of how influential he is. Now, for the first time, like, I enjoy listening to Elvis. And I understand, again, I understand why he's important. I understand why he's the king. And um, I just found myself just like, okay, I'm an Elvis fan now. I, I get it. Hmm. And that I think that's about as as good of a... Um, place that you can arrive with a music artist, especially music artists that are as revered as him. When you get to the point of you just go, okay, I get it now. I'm dr- I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid now, so um, wow. I'm just, I'm happy me myself that I am there, and I'm glad that um, the kind of a similar thing is going with you from what you've told me. Mm-hmm. I I uh, I have to say, if Elvis came on tour. I would definitely go see him. Oh, I would too. <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, I yeah. guess that that does it for this episode. So thank you guys it, so yeah. much for yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Remember, um, in every episode description, we have two links. One is for that Spotify playlist. Please go listen to the songs, especially if you have not heard these songs before. Even if you have heard them. Uh, hearing them in the order that they've been put in will hopefully give you a new perspective on them, um, provide for a new listening experience. And uh, the other link uh, will send you to a page where you can pledge monthly donation to the channel. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and on Facebook where we've got a lot of great discussions going on um, as well as it's going to be the best place to get updates and news on the podcast and uh also hit the subscribe button whatever platform you're listening on leave us a review leave us a rating let us know what artists you want us to cover in the future we'll hopefully get to them soon and check out uh next week 9 a.m central we're gonna have another new episode we're gonna be going about as far away from elvis as you can possibly imagine (laughs) into the realm of extreme metal Oh, so, we're going into uh, the into the realm of music that I'm much more familiar with. <laughs> yeah, uh, those of you that are metalheads listening, um, hopefully you'll be excited about that. Those of you that are not metalheads, still check out the episode anyway. Uh, you might uh, hear some interesting things. So that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And keep on listening to good music.